The Rewindables, the one you take to bed with you. This is a remarkable story. A cat burglar is on the loose in a peninsula neighborhood. He is so prolific and so hard to catch, this burglar makes others look like amateurs. But ABC7's Vic Lee caught up with him today in San Mateo. Meet Dusty. By day, he's a house pet. When the sun goes down, it's time to hit the streets. Dusty is a cat burglar. So she always steals stuff. (laughs) Neighbors like five-year-old Ethan McClellan know him by his alias, Klepto, the cat. Well, she took my mom's swimming clothes. Neighbors are on guard, but his victims don't intend to file police reports. No, we haven't, because we know where to go. I think those are for playing um, hockey. They go to Gene Chu and Jim Coleman's home. Dusty belongs to them. In the past three years, they figure he's stolen about 600 items, and he's not choosy. He'll take anything that's not locked down. Towels, gloves, shoes, socks, uh, little toys, children's toys. This pair of shoes, which he took in two trips, and even people's personal items. Whiteies, and we have some, uh, we had some black ones, too. He especially likes bathing suits drying outside. He stole Kelly McClellan's bikini bottom. And then came back about 10 minutes later and took the top home. So, um, yeah, we know him very well. Dusty's M.O. is always the same. He leaves home at night and returns with his loot in the early morning. The TV network Animal Planet recently installed a camera outside the house. It captured his nightly forays for a week. Chu says Dusty's record take for one night is pretty amazing. One night, how many? Eleven. Eleven different things. It's getting dark now. The question is, which house will Dusty hit? It's a perfect night for a heist. Vic Lee, ABC 7 News. You gotta slow down, Chris. You gotta slow the way down. Did you say your name is Jim or John? Uh, well, it's both, actually. Um, teachers, when we're growing up, you know, they used to always say, hey, you can have this one. He's a real gem. Well, good morning from Calcutta. You get the slow way down. Full play. Women, ain't they perfect? Not always. Yes, they are. They're perfect. Don't matter if they're skinny, fat, blonde, or blue. If a woman is willing to give you her love, it's the greatest gift in the world. Makes you tall, makes you smart, makes you deep shine. Boy, oh boy, women are perfect. Marshall Mason, the Vice President of the If you're ever lonely watching television, your troubles may soon be over. That's because finally there's a TV that talks back to you. Kind of. Interactive TV doesn't really speak, but there is a whole lot more give and take than with your average two. You have to be willing to rewatch a movie. Back to the Rewindables, Chris Wendelkin, Ben Craw, Christian Lynch. Guys, it's great to see you. Happy New Year. I haven't seen you guys it's, in a second. It's so good. It's so good to see you guys. It's been a long time, actually. Um, I know. A little, little peek behind the production curtain. Uh, while these episodes may drop every single week, we don't uh, necessarily record them every single week. So, um, but you know, it's, we it's, do it's, think about the movie every minute of every day. I think about the about movie constantly, and I think about my cousins every single day. Speaking of relationships that are frowned upon, I, I gotta admit, I'm not immune to that. I mean, my first relationship was not good. First date, first kids, 
first taste of loving You were my first cousin It's true. It's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it's really lovely to see you all. Happy uh, Happy New Year. Excited to talk about Minute. Uh, I'm sure Ben is going to take us back to second 42 <laughs> of this movie. So I'd like to say we're going to get to act two of this movie, but I don't know. We'll see yeah. how far we get. No promises. You know, this is, uh, we're we're currently on the uh, rickety car going up the, the mountain of movie madness. Well, the kingdom of madness reign. We will find out in less than three weeks, Friday night, December 7th at the Nassau Coliseum. That's right. We haven't hit the death zone yet, so folks, the little The little coal, the little coal cart, uh, yep, yep. Uh, you know, swinging around those nope. uh, half-broken wooden train tracks. Yep. Nope. And the, the, the wheels haven't frozen, folks, so we are... Hang on. That's what I'm saying. So for our audience, a little peek behind the curtain here. We're talking about the 1991 movie Rocketeer, and we started having a discussion about a scene. Ben had to leave halfway through it. We just decided we're just going to table that first part and just start anew. So um, there will probably be a couple things that maybe drop as bonus slop, (laughs) depending on how my editing schedule uh, what my editing we'll see what allows. we'll see what falls off the dining table. You but know. full disclosure, this episode, this episode that you're listening to right now, is actually take two. This is the second time we're doing this. Absolutely, uh, you know, we so, thought we it was a great first take, but we said, you know what, let's do it we again. We can do better. Triple yeah, yeah. the length of that podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, let's set the scene. So. Um, Last time we talked, or last time our audience listened to uh, an episode from us guys, we were talking about how Cliff and Jenny were at the movies, and uh, they were going to see a Neville Sinclair film, Wings of Honor, and there was this newsreel that was playing beforehand, and we had this, I thought, really fun discussion about... um, propaganda, newsreels, and what was happening in the world at that time. Yes. So, we were talking we talk- a lot about Hitler, Chris. You can just <laughs> put it right out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our yeah, last, ta- our, and I will say, folks, that is, the, coloring books, that is the most the, Hitler-y. The oh, stuff. Christian, yeah. I found the coloring book. Oh, oh no. Yeah, I, I mean, it was one of those things in editing that episode where I was like, you know, I, I always try to pepper all these edits with as much stuff as possible and i was like is there anything like was there ever a commercial about this coloring book any sort of piece of audio is there a youtube video of, out nope. there with 20 Did you, years there, that yeah, has you some reviewing any, there, the coloring there book? are there are youtube <laughs> videos of people coloring that coloring oh, book, oh boy but, but they're silent and also, <laughs> Chris, Chris is it's now. Just, you should have just dropped it in anyway, Chris. I just want to hear yeah. some coloring. It's just so in coloring. The sound of a colored pencil for, for three straight minutes in the middle but, of the episode. Quite frankly, I'm just going to throw find, this out there. It's a little concerning. I found a link for the coloring book, mm. and it is insane. I yeah. can verify. It's uh, truly shocking. I remember, like, even as an adult, when I found this book in my house, I was like, oh, Rocketeer, I love this. And like page four, you're like, whoa, <laughs> wow, Disney really didn't shy no, yeah. away. So I found a YouTube video of someone coloring in that book, but it's it's silent. But yeah, the guy is just like flipping pages. What color like, does he oh, make the swastika? Cliff. That's what I want to no, know. No, th- it, he hasn't colored it in yet. So uh, it's just him like flipping through a totally blank coloring book. It's I like, see. oh, that page Jenny, that page is Cliff. That page is PV. That page is a swastika. Yeah, just um, a big one. And it's, um, 
you know, even in the 90s, that seemed like a choice that should have been like maybe maybe they don't need to add that yeah. in there. But, um, you know, now that you've Googled that, hey, uh, wanna, folks. yeah, you, speaking of history, you Can't might want to clear, clear your history, <laughs> clear your history. Yeah, Chris. Clear those cookies, folks. Clear, clear those, those cookies. cookies. Always got to clear your cookies. <laughs> yep. Clear your right, cookies so and install that Mac- McAfee antivirus. It's going to do right. you a world of good. That's right. Trust that's right. me. So we're cutting, we're cutting from the movie theater where Cliff and Jenny were on a date and we are cutting to a hospital bedroom. And in this opening frame here, we see in profile our old friend Wilmer, who's bandaged up. And on the wall behind uh, Wilmer, it's nighttime. We can see sort of the moonlight streaming through the window here and uh, into his bedroom. Yeah, and these if you look close. Kind of beautiful, like just French see, door windows. Yep, um, you just see the the shadow of a hand that's mm, sitting on the windowsill, mm-hmm. right? And honestly, this is pure out of. I feel like this is the first time we're really seeing it where this movie just goes straight like noir. Like this is a noir, yeah. a color version of a noir movie. It is just pure shadows and silhouettes. And I love it, folks. This is where uh, you just go brilliant. Again, like the only time we've met this character of Lothar so far, his little pinky was going ham uh, <laughs> yeah. on a chair while he was listening to some wacky right. uh, classical songs and lis- li- eating little ham sandwiches and our Mm -hmm. true introduction to this goliath that we're about to meet is his silhouette coming through the windows and you see his face on the wall yeah the profile of his very unnatural looking head and uh and little you can tell that man this man has the face for radio you can tell that right from the silhouette that this is not going to be a pretty face that we're about to see yeah. So this op- this 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 establishing shot, this first frame here, I just wanted to say like it's really so beautiful. You have these like these uh panels on on the window, Ben, they're French doors like you said, mm-hmm. and it's almost like sort of like a chess or a checkered board of of uh light streaming in through through the window here onto the wall. Yeah, it's lit incredibly because you see Wilmer's, you know, unconscious uh body uh, interaction in the in the foreground kind of bottom third of the frame. And he's lit perfectly, so you see his face and the bandage on his forehead. Um, and then in the in the kind of like background, like the sort of backdrop of of the hospital room is the is the just the silhouette of the window pane and the shadow of who we're going to find out is Lothar. And it's just so so well done. It's like really, I don't know how. Yeah. That's very... And there's this this very ominous music that we hear. Mm. And then there's this, fa- in the faint distance, I don't know if you guys pick this up, you can hear the hospital PA system. And doctors and nurses are being paged to various rooms. Mm-hmm. Right? I would also say this is the first time we're actually seeing the damage of what happens when you dive out of a car on an airfield at top speed. Like we knew that Wilmer was in bad shape, but he is almost full body casted here. Yeah. Every single day. We don't advise it folks. No, no, we don't. Stay in a moving vehicle. Why would anyone want to jump out of a moving car? The fear takes over you. It consumes you. 27 year old Elizabeth Suarez had to do just that to save herself from an alleged kidnapper. Surveillance video shows her leaping from a car to escape a fake Uber driver in Las Vegas. It was my instinct that just told me, get out of that car. However you can, get out. I just remember 
pain everywhere in my body just tumbling out and the last thing I remember was hitting the back of my head. Elizabeth suffered a fractured wrist, broken ankle, and a head injury that required seven staples. In Tallahassee, Florida, 19-year-old Brooke Adkins says her Uber driver refused to let her out. She called 911. Brooke rolled down the window and dove out, suffering cuts to her knees and foot. Jumping out of a moving vehicle is very dangerous, but it could be your only choice if you're being held against your will. And there are steps you can take to at least lessen the risks. We spoke to stunt woman Tammy Bayard. Look ahead of where, where the driver's going to make sure it's safe for you to jump out of the car because you don't want to jump out if you're close to a curb or a bunch of street signs. To make sure she wasn't injured in this demonstration, Tammy wore safety padding and leaped onto a mat. I'm pushing the door with my left hand and I'm putting my left foot here just in case this door comes back and swings at me. So then I get here and I'm going to prep myself to jump out. As I jump out, I'm going to leap as far as I can from the car and the inertia of the car is going to make me roll this way. <laughs> you just really want to make sure you protect your head when you're diving out. Important safety tips if you ever need to jump out of a moving car to save yourself. We don't Every advise bone him. in this man's body is broken, including the bad tooth that he had removed. However, I will say, um, I don't know if the mob has a good, um, you know, health insurance plan. In America, we have a health care system that's run by the mafia. You have these unnecessary middlemen, the for-profit health insurance companies, in between you and your doctor. And then those unnecessary middlemen control the politicians that set the rules. They fund their campaigns and lobby them into submission, into little lapdogs of corporate power. But this a hospital room, pretty swanky for old Wilmer. It's a, a, pri a private, <laughs> lovely room. He's got good care, you know, all balcony. things considered. Yeah. He's got a balcony. I mean, look, if you're uh, going to dive out of a car, do it in Los Angeles in 1938. It seems like they took care of you, even if you were a prisoner, um, yeah. which Wilmer is. So we see the shadow of a hand, right? And this hand is resting on the center of the windowsill frame, and the hand pushes the doors of the window open. And we see this figure entering the room. We see this person's shadow. Right, just the silhouette. And they pause briefly. And Ben, immediately, this person is giving me the vibe of like a cat burglar. That's the best way I can describe mm -hmm. it. You know what I mean? Does yeah. that make sense, the Christian? Way, yeah, yeah, the way he moves so silently through the space, you know, for for such a large man, he is, as we're going to see repeatedly, incredibly graceful and nimble, this Lothar. Yeah. Yeah, and he and he, the way he pops into the room and he just freezes, and he's like, oh, his shadow looks like he's crouched a little bit, and then he has this top hat. We we're, again, we're seeing this all in silhouette, the top hat, a fedora, and uh, it's like right. I'm sure, the it's film. a fedora, Chris. That might be a, a future no? correction. Uh, it's okay. got like kind of like the 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 flat, like the kind of wide flat top. I don't know if that's a pork pie hat pork, or I exactly. yeah. pork pie. We're we're looking at a pork pie hat. Pork pie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We can look into that further, though. Don't worry. Thank you, sir. May I have another? That that head would be ridiculous in a fedora. It would be <laughs> straight. It's straight out of Dick Tracy. Right? Yes, I, extremely Dick Tracy vibes. Yes, it is. Um, and this gentleman walks right across the room like the professional that he is, and immediately jams the door up with a chair. And you know, this guy is about to go truly ham, Ben. 
We're about That's to right. see Lothar do what Lothar does. Yeah. Uh, just sorry, moving a little fast for me here. Um, I just wanted to say that uh, the profile of this person in the silhouette, the mouth and the nose and the lips of this person, just again through the shadow, are so clearly defined. This person's jaw is really jutting outwards. It's almost like cartoonish mm. it almost it, it doesn't it looks like superhuman right i'm, and I'm immediately a, i'm about mm-hmm. to give it the most new england reference of all time lothar's face for a long time new hampshire had a rock structure oh that was in the side of a mountain it was called yeah. the old man in a mountain and i yeah. gotta say yeah. lothar's profile 100 looks exactly like <laughs> that freakish yes. old man which collapsed like a few years back yeah That's such a good call it now appears new hampshire's old man of the mountain tumbled from his perch friday night that's when two campers are saying they heard a loud rock slide it might well have been the demise of the old man. Crowds flock to the park to stare at the spot where the historic granite profile once watched over New Hampshire. Experts believe it fell victim to erosion. The old man in the mountain, gone. You can see how it looked before and after the landmark face crumbled Friday night. Can it and should it be restored? Apparently no plans to take the old man's image off license plates or travel brochures, but what to do with that famous shoulder of profile mountain behind me is a question everyone is asking, along with just paying their respects. You have seen the history of the world over many centuries. Today you have fallen and its people are sad. May they be strong as you have taught them. A eulogy for the old man of the mountain, rugged features that nature chiseled out of granite thousands of years ago. As a symbol on everything. Yeah. Signs, your licenses, plates, state coin, I mean everything. It's believed rain and fog coupled with a constant cycle of freeze and thaw tore the great stone face from his perch on top profile mountain. Since his demise was discovered Saturday morning, the granite state has been in a state of mourning. It's really sad. It's incredible, but it's awful at the same time. People are really sad. It's like you lost a family member. From shot glasses to snow globes, visitors have been buying up anything with a profile's image. Some here believe lost revenue makes rebuilding the natural wonder a priority. In the long range, you've got to have it there to draw in the money, which would be from the tourists. Though a memorial task force has been assigned by New Hampshire's governor, many who paid their respects at the foot of Profile Lake Monday are convinced the old man of the mountain should be allowed to rest in peace. I think Mother Nature has taken it back. Maybe we ought to respect that. You'll still see that face on New Hampshire license plates, and you'll be like, is that New Hampshire, the old man on the rock, or Lothar? I don't know. At one moment in the silhouette, it almost looks like Jim Carrey from The Mask. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on, sugar. Daddy's got a sweet tooth tonight. Somebody stop me! Uh Uh-oh. Can't make the scene if you don't have the green. I better make a little stab. I think it's also the angle of the camera, but like the chin is like so... Prominent is the word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And really Lothar Um, is begging somebody to stop him. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right, Christian. You're going to mention the mask. I'm going to do that. Uh, Of course. And it's not the first mask uh, (laughs) reference that we've had, folks. Um, So, Christian, like you said, Lothar walks through the room and heads over to the bedroom door, and immediately we cut outside the room. Mm -hmm. And outside uh, Wilmer's hospital room, we uh, see a nurse and a cop who are on duty listening to what sounds like a radio play. They're having a good laugh, sipping a little... Little cup of coffee. Hot second back. Hi, house bro. <laughs> What's the idea of around like this? We want Yeah, and uh, just to uh, reaffirm the period accuracy, that's not just uh, some like stock, you know, radio play uh, audio. That is actual uh, authentic audio from a 1930s era um, radio show called Fibber McGee and Company. The Johnson Wax Program. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's self-polishing glow coat present Fibber McGee and Company with Jim Jordan as Fibber McGee, Donald Novis, The Four Notes, and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with Anything Goes. Uh, it was massively popular, a uh, situational comedy, uh, a staple of the NBC Red Network from 1936 onward. Um, actually, I think it may have originated uh, in 1935 on NBC Blue, and then it was, whatever, moved on. Um, very popular enduring radio series uh, of its time. Uh, it ran as a standalone series from 1935 to 1956, um, and uh, then kind of like morphed later on. Um the title characters were created and created and portrayed by Jim and Marion Jordan, a real-life husband and wife team that had been working in radio since the 20s. Um, and while it started as Fibber McGee and Molly, uh, the show was retitled in 1937. There's a, sort of a brief period from uh, 37 to 39 when uh, Marion Jordan, the wife, uh, actually had to be uh, hospitalized, I believe, due to uh, alco- alcoholism. Uh, And the show was uh, briefly retitled Fibber McGee and Company. Uh, So that is, in fact, the uh, show, the program that this uh, very uh, derelict and and neglectful police officer who's on duty. (laughs) uh, You know, this was the the movie that dared to say a cab first. He's a bastard for just (laughs) sitting there doing nothing. Yeah, fucking useless cop. Uh, But I will will say a little fun fact that there was a moment, a brief moment where I paused and started to Google, like, what is this radio show? And I said, Christian, don't do it. Ben's, Ben's research is in fact it. a trap. Research I said no. I said Ben is probably, and you know what? By God, I literally just wrote probably Benny Hill, Colgate Comedy Hour, or something. Um, I, I want to bring up that this nurse and this cop are mm-hmm. giving me some vibes. Like I don't know. Mm. I'm picking. I'm picking up some chemistry. Like yeah, nurse, going on. I feel like nurse is. Uh, I don't think the cop. The cop looks like an a cab idiot uh, who's just sitting there, like just total dolt. I mean, he's staring <laughs> right at the radio. He's got this beautiful nurse right beside him who is clearly smitten. And uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm picking this all up just on like the way she's like drinking her cup. Like she's giving some flirtatious vibes. I'm just saying she's fishing for a man here. And um, yeah, oh, she, that's they're, a they're great hand. call. They're giggling they're at the, the show about the cop. Looking at each other. The cop is fucking bug eyed. He is bug eyed. Like he is transfixed yes. by a radio. <laughs> yeah, like, she's true. 
this beautiful woman is clearly trying to get with him, and he yes. is like, "Yeah, whatever." I'm like transfixed by this radio. He's play. like, "Oh, yeah, oh Finnegan, can you believe it? Finnegan, yeah. whatever." <laughs> he's like, buddy. He's he, t- like, you have like an absolute like beautiful woman right beneath your nose. Can you yep. just pay her like a little attention? The answer is yeah. no. Um, yeah, the nurse is wearing red lipstick, which I'm not sure if that's entirely necessary for the job, um, but maybe... In 19, 1938, I feel like there was different... Um, women were held to different standards. It, oh, that's true, I think that's true. it. I honestly think it was uh, part of, unfortunately, the job. It was yeah. unfair expectations for that's the workforce. That's fair. But yeah, I love how the, how the cop is staring at this radio, which, again, doesn't produce images it's just a, an audio uh it's a radio yeah, folks yeah. it's just sound but That's he's how literally that staring yeah. at it with his mouth open just full-on mouth breathing a gape. as fully as a he, gape. Uh, yeah as he as he takes in this uh yeah you know, popular uh, radio sitcom I, I do think that was era accurate though i because you see photos of people when they had radio shows and it was like families all sitting around looking at their radio which to be fair would have been like magic right you'd be like this is magic yeah. that, that's happening right now and they are magically ignoring uh, room 323, which is a shout out to the area code of Los Angeles. Mm. Uh, rep, rep in there. And uh, what's clear is not a lot, like Wilmer obviously needs protection from the mob and from everyone else. And like the city has only given one beat cop and a nurse who's on night duty and no one is paying attention. And yep. Lothar is taking advantage of the situation, which we see in the very next frame as he jams a, yeah. uh, a, a a door a chair uh, a chair underneath the door which is like what a teen would do to sneak out and drink in the woods <laughs> like just <laughs> yeah no lothar know. is eating this up i mean this is perfect for him he's got this cop and this nurse who were supposed to be on duty yeah this is you easy know, work for him th- this the is window wasn't even this locked is, he literally just pushed this, it open with his fingertips yeah no, this works out perfect for Lothar. Uh, you know, this is a uh, Wilmer is a a a a criminal. This is a this is a person that's going to be in Alcatraz if he were not basically in a full body cast. Mm-hmm. And so the cop and the nurse are supposed to be you know on duty outside of his bedroom, but they're transfixed by this radio play. That's perfect for Lothar, who wedges a chair beneath the doorknob, creates a nice little jam, and then Christian he walks over to the bed. He walks Wilmer over to the bed where we see up. we see more of Wilmer's body. And my God, looking at it again, it's all plaster caster. This guy is literally just covered head to toe in cast. Oh, yeah. um, and he's strung up. Strung like he's up. In band- like a, he's a His marionette. His whole body is in bandages. He's, yeah. he's a, I, I, a little puppet, a uh, little Wilmer puppet uh, there at the hospital. And Lothar walks into the frame. And when we first see him lean down, it is just... All chin is the only thing you see in the light. It's all shadow. Yeah, and chin and bottom lip. Just chin and bottom lip. And, uh, you know, is it Jay Leno? Is it John Elway? We're not really sure. No. <laughs> he lights a match on, like a total boss, a light him anywhere match where he strikes it on Wilmer's neck cast and lights it up to confirm, is this Wilmer? Yeah, bro. It's the guy whose body's all broken. You don't, I don't think you need the match, but sure. He strikes a match and boom, he's dead ass got wilmer in his sights well the match is match is perfect because not only does it uh you know uh uh, illuminate uh lothar's face but we also get this scale because we see his gigantic meat mitts holding this little (laughs) tiny it looks like a fucking like sewing needle in his in his fingers this little tiny match that he's just got 
you know, uh, plucked between his, uh, you know, thumb and forefinger. And we see just how massive this man's hands are. They're, like his hand is basically the size of Wilmer's entire head. Yeah. This guy can dunk we... a basketball. Oh, he yeah. just can. Uh, well, that's a, actually, I don't know if you are aware of this, uh, but the <laughs> oh boy, actor. I opened a can of worms. Here we go. Here we go. Not getting into we, it now. Here we but go. But I will just tease a little something, which is the actor playing Lothar. By, who goes by the name of Tiny Ron Taylor, was, in fact, at one time, a professional basketball player. Ron Taylor, what kind of psychology is involved in playing the post in professional basketball? Well, first of all, when you're young, you always got to work and hope that you, you, know, you become big and tall. Or that there would psych anybody out. And, uh, I guess uh, in the pros, you have to have the, the weight, the muscle, the height, and uh, if you don't have that working for you, you know, you can work on other things, your ability to, to uh, jump, I'll think the other man. But uh, with me, I just uh, try to look mean and big and uh, use my height. And, uh, and there's, well, in the, in, in the ABA, there's uh, not quite that many big men yet. There are a lot of good uh, ball players who are, you know, 6'8", but can jump well. In the NBA, it's the other way around. You have your superstar centers who are big and uh, agile themselves. And uh, if I was playing NBA, it'd be quite different than when I'm playing in the ABA. In the ABA, I'm throwing my weight around, and I, you know, I can use it more than I would in the NBA. You're seven one. How much do you weigh? Well, right now I'm about two seventy. I'm down to two seventy. <laughs> What's your playing weight? I'm gonna. They're gonna try and get me down to about two fifty five. But I've never been that low, so I don't know what's going to happen. Seven-footer, right? Um, he was a good 6'10", I want to say. I'm not sure. He might have been a seven-footer. Uh, obviously, I've got some more research to do, which I will be doing and will be uh, relaying to our audience. Um, but Lebr- uh, LeBron, LeBron v. Tiny John. Who are you taking in that situation, guys? I got him, I got tiny, him down as seven-foot. Seven-foot. Is he seven-foot? Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Drafted by the Seattle Supersonics in the second round of the 1969 NBA draft. Never actually played in the NBA, but instead he did play in the American Basketball Association, aka the ABA. Um, won't get into his whole career here, uh, but we certainly will be in a future episode. Um, <laughs> God, which Jesus I Christ! Cannot wait for because, and the, also not to mention the rest of his acting career. And I don't know if we have Ace we Ventura? actually. Um, yep, Ace Ventura. Police Squad and Naked Gun. Um, Wait, he was in Ace Ventura? Alrighty then. Yeah, very very briefly, he was um, he was like one of the go- one of uh, the goons at, like at the end, um, one of Ray Finkel's like cronies. Um, okay, God, oh, um, this is this is nuts. Finkel or Einhorn? Oh. <laughs> Einhorn or Finkel? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Einhorn is Finkel. Finkel is Einhorn. Einhorn is a man. Also, <laughs> also, again, we don't have to get into it all now, but uh, Roadhouse. Yeah, he was in Roadhouse. Okay, this is um, yeah. we're doing we, a tiny, a tiny Ron spin off. Ron Taylor will, will tiny, does merit <laughs> his own episode. A not so tiny pod. This man yes. is a legend. 
Um, and I don't know if we have we have talked about uh, I think in, in when we were first introduced to this character when he received the phone call we mentioned his, his inspiration Rondo Hatton is that correct? I don't think we have I think that may be where we have to retread something that maybe we talked about oh really in one of our fever dreams but let's let's just go into it this guy looks like a Dick Tracy villain you, and honestly when you yeah. when I first saw this movie as a kid he's the only character that as a kid I'm like oh this is like a over the top character and it feels a little Dick Tracy like, and it was only recently that I learned by a Ben, uh, that this character is based on a real man. And yes, it's, if you think he's like a monstrous fake goon, uh, uh-uh, no, he is, uh, that face is based on a reality and a real person. So yeah. Rondo Hatton, who's Rondo Hatton. So, so the character Lothar is a direct homage to a, an old uh, 1940s era uh, Hollywood horror icon named Rondo Hatton. Uh, so Rondo Hatton uh, actually started as a journalist um, and then became an actor in, in Hollywood and uh, uh, became famous pretty quickly due to his unique facial features, which were the result of acromegaly. Um, his, I think his first movie was actually a Sherlock Holmes, uh, picture where he played like some bad guy. Um, and he kind of made enough of an impression with, uh, with audiences that he kind of got, uh, spun off, uh, to, to become this, this regular recurring character known as the creeper. Uh, and he made two films for universal playing the creeper, uh, house of horrors and the brute man, which were both filmed in 1945, but not released until after his death in 1946. Just a minute. Who are you? tragically died of complications from his condition in 1946 at the very young age of 51. Um, these movies are not great. Um, I have, in fact, watched uh, one of these movies, albeit with uh, uh, some additional commentary because The Brute Man was watched on an episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000 uh, in season seven uh, back in, I think, like, like sometime in like the mid-90s. Um, I can't really imagine watching that movie without the MST3K treatment because, like I said, it's very much a B or C horror movie. But Rondo Hatton uh, was an absolute icon and and a legend, um, uh, so much so that uh, this character, the Creeper, was a huge and major obsession of a one, Dave Stevens. And in the uh, Drawn to Perfection documentary that we've talked about and mentioned a few times, uh, it was uh, revealed that um, uh, a couple other fellas that uh, were big fans of the Creeper and the Creeper movies 
uh, were the uh, writers, uh, the eventual writers of The Rocketeer, uh, Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeo, who, in their very first meeting with Dave Stevens back in 1982, um, when you know Dave was uh, was was kind of shopping shopping the the character and the story around Hollywood. I think it was '85 when uh, when Stevens first met with um, Bilson and DeMeo. But basically, in their very first meeting, you know, they're talking about the character um, and their sort of shared love for like old uh, you know Hollywood uh, B movies and serials and stuff like that. And uh, in their first meeting with Dave Stevens, they say, uh, Bilson and DeMeo go, hey, Dave, have you ever heard of this guy called The Creeper, Rondo Hatton? And uh, according to Danny Bilson, quote, it was like we had said some magic word or something. And immediately, uh, Dave Stevens' eyes lit up and he was just like, oh, my God, I love The Creeper. And like, it just like basically sparked their whole partnership, um, which uh, continued until eventually, you know, after a lot of, uh, you know, sort of product production hell, uh, they and also, uh, they finally I think, got the, I think it's, the, I think it's important to just interject by saying this is also how Ben Craw enters all conversations in 2024. <laughs> Do you know the creeper, Rondo yeah. Hatton? Every People time like, I go to a what? cocktail party, so what? we've been watching uh, recently. <laughs> any seen any good shows on Netflix? And I say. Have you ever seen The Brute Man starring yeah, the creeper, I can, Rondo Hatton? Yeah. I can only imagine the amount of times Rondo Hatton was brought up at Christmas. Uh, at Wait, true household. story, guys. I literally, <laughs> at, at a Christmas party that I went to at my parents' house a little bit before Christmas, um, oh, no. someone was like, I was just, just like talking to like an old family friend. They're like, so like, are you reading any books these days? And I literally was like... Yeah, I'm reading a book about Errol Flynn from 1980. Um, it's kind of a long story, but and I literally like just started going into it, and yeah, so that's that's what I'm like at cocktail. That's parties. the beauty of this podcast, uh, as you know, behind the scenes, like we are so deeply enmeshed in this movie that we just assume everybody <laughs> yeah, is. So we're just I, wandering it's all around. I, know, I don't have anything else to talk about. This is all I think. Well, about. Yeah, it, it, I really do look like a very confused patient who's escaped a hospital just being like Rocketeer, Rondo Hatton, Creeper Creeper. <laughs> like, yeah. All right, sir, come with me. Hey guys, it's Chris. I want to take a quick break here to remind you that The Rewindables is now on Patreon. If you love what we do and love what we make and you want to help us keep this podcast independent and ad-free, obviously it's just a labor of love for all of us. You can help us out by going over to patreon.com slash the rewindables, patreon.com slash the rewindables. There are three different tiers of membership, each with different perks. It's the simplest and easiest way to support all the movie deep dive podcasts that we create. Becoming a Patreon gets you all sorts of perks with bonus podcasts and content about the Rocketeer. And I was sitting there eating a cupcake and I look up and I was like, is that Rosebud from Citizen Kane? And yes, it was. <laughs> in <the> <laughs> office he just has rosebud you also get access to swish fm plus which is the irreverent basketball deep dive podcast that i do with ben so if you're in a position to help head over there it's greatly felt and appreciated patreon.com slash the rewindables you sign up you'll get a private podcast feed where all the bonus content with the uh, free episodes will be delivered every week patreon.com slash the rewindables now back to the show so Ben, so as it relates to Tiny Ron Taylor, yes. Um, so so uh, Dave Stevens and the writers of the film were very inspired and uh, you know obsessed with with the the the, uh, the performer that played the creeper. Yeah. And so when they were coming up with this character of Lothar, they used that as a point of inspiration. Yeah. My question is: so the actor Tiny Ron Taylor, 
was this person someone that had genetic issues or was he wearing prosthetics? He was wearing heavy prosthetics. Tiny Ron Taylor, while a very large uh, human being, did not uh, suffer from acromegaly or any other uh, major you know, conditions that I know of other than you know, just abnormal height. Um, so that was all uh, very well done makeup work, um, which I'm by sure... one Mr. Rick Baker, ladies and gentlemen, the legendary Rick Baker, who Boom. basically is the guy who made like real prosthetics what they are in films. I mean, it's becoming a lost design, but this guy did Harry and the Hendersons, Gremlins Two, shout out to Gremlins, Rocketeer, mm. Ed Wood, Batman Forever, Nutty Professor. Uh, Men in Black. Um, let's Did see. Did he do Dick Tracy Green- or no? Because like, no, no, no Dick Tracy uh, on his just, list. Because yeah, the, uh, the makeup and character really does looks, you know, directly plucked out of Dick Tracy. But um, but yeah, they basically but, just took the the creeper, like the whole like the hat, the the dark, uh, you know, uh, overcoat, everything, you know, black clothes, like the whole look of his shape of his head and everything is like directly. Um, an homage to the Creeper, and so much so that in the Rocketeer uh, comic book, so I f- forget how much we've talked about, you know, this how how the the comic book like was written or uh, or published, but um, while it debuted in 1982, because Dave Stevens was such an OCD level perfectionist and worked so incredibly slowly, he only released a couple of uh, you know kind of chapters, quote unquote. Um, for the first, uh, you know, sort of few years of the uh, book's existence. And then later on, um, after he had hooked up with uh, Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeo, and they had, you know, kind of, uh, you know, discovered their their mutual love for the Creeper, the Creeper actually shows up, Lothar shows up in a later um, uh, edition of the Rocketeer comic book. Uh, I think in like 89 or 90, um, before the actual movie came out, Lothar, the character Lothar, appears in like later issues of the Rocketeer comic, um, which I thought was hmm. pretty interesting entirely because of, um, you know, kind of Bilson and DeMeo. So I think, if I'm not mistaken, Bilson and DeMeo actually also wrote those later issues, um, and Dave Stevens just illustrated them. Um, but yeah, it's interesting if you... Um, you know, get like the complete collection uh, of the Rocketeer uh, comic book, you can see like the later um, issues where Cliff goes to New York and then there's like a flashback where uh, there's like this whole like uh, freaks, uh, the um, 19, what is it, 31 um, uh, freak movie freaks uh, kind of inspired like circus uh, flashback scene. Anyway, um yeah, it's all so really cool. I also hope <laughs> that this podcast goes from the cutting edge or from with honors to cutting edge to the Rocketeer to Freaks 1931. <laughs> Just yeah. see, why not? Why not? I know we started talking about this uh, the last time we were discussing this scene, but I'm curious um, just to revisit the conversation a little bit. Did anything about Lothar's appearance, the fact that it was sort of this like supernatural character, did anything about that? Um, jar you or remove you remove you from the movie or like interrupt your ability to enjoy the movie I was very much um, as a kid like I think I know I this was, was like a point of contention right with the critics critics I think critics were kind of pulled out and a lot of people made comparison to uh, you know uh, Beatty's Dick Tracy um, which you know came out a similar I think that came out at the same era like I think in 90 right yeah one year earlier 
So a lot of people were like, oh, this is like a character right out of Dick Tracy. And that's not an unfair comparison because it really does seem like a character right out of Dick Tracy. But as a kid, I didn't see Dick Tracy and hadn't grown up with the same reverence as I think an older movie viewer that maybe had grown up with it. Um, So this was my kind of introduction to this even type of character in a movie. And I just saw him as like this big, scary, menacing figure. Um, And I, and I definitely, uh, he feels a little out of place, but I also totally enjoy it. And, um, you know, I I could buy it as a kid. I was into it. Yeah. I thought it heightened. I thought it heightened the movie. If anything, I like it, it, I both understood that there was something different about this person and that sort of heightened my, um, like experience of the movie was like, Oh, this is like, this is someone with superpowers. This is someone who, you know what I mean? Like he's either really, really good or really, really bad, but whatever it is, he's almost like on a different level than normal people. And a smart choice, I think from a just pure character, uh, you know, driven conflict here is that technically like Eddie Valentine and Neville Sinclair are both like kind of the bad guys of this movie, but at no point am I ever really like threatened by them. And Mm. I think like the, the Lothar character adds a lot to just like, Oh, Cliff's in trouble. Like this guy, like the, all the other gangsters are like, whatever they're well-dressed and have like Tommy guns. Yeah. But they're like human beings you can talk to. Yeah, Lothar can just crush people, and we're about to see what he does to Wilmer, which is that he shakes him, rattles him awake, which is great, <laughs> which is just, uh, which I think I want to also mention, little little nod that, you know, when he when he shakes Wilmer awake, Wilmer has a little moan that makes me go, Wilmer's into this. <laughs> Wilmer's a little bit of a bondage and torture guy, because listen. <laughs> wow, really? Thank you, sir, man. Yeah, wow, that's a take. That is a take, cause I gotta. Wow, I gotta you hand know, it to you. At no not, point did I watch this and think Wilmer was like, "Keep going, keep going." <laughs> it's a, it's a little bit of a nod to Dave Stevens. Wow. Uh, listen again. Listen to little Wilmer from the Rocketeers, a BDSM guy. That yeah, is he's a like, I have never come. Tie me up in bandages and fucking sure break who, my bones, he's baby. Not sure at that moment <laughs> who's rattling him. Who's if only you could him use that, that match to light a candle and just dribble a little bit of wax on my chest. That would be really good for me. Just a little bit. Mm. Oh. Who's there? Who is it? What do you want? Where is it? Where's what? The rocket. I don't answer to nobody but Eddie Valentine. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. He's off. He's off. But very quickly, you know, it's very clear that uh, basically Wilmer's been in a coma for a while. So his eyesight isn't even in in check. So he's gasping awake and he's like, who is it? Who is it? Who's there? I love it because Lothar's this just the ugliest man in the world and Wilmer runs in the same circle. So it's the the idea Mm. that he's like, you know, he's been out of it. And then when he realizes, Oh crap, it's Lothar. They clearly have a relationship that they know each other. Yeah. It's such a cool. Oh, sorry. Go on. No, no, no. Lothar is just immediately is like, where is it? And Wilmer's like, where's what Lothar, the rocket. 
uh, deepest voice in the world, deeper than, <laughs> than even Vin Diesel. I can't even do it justice. It's deeper than Vin Diesel. Um, where, where, and he goes, where is, where is it? Yeah, it's so where deep. Where is it? And it almost sounds like a crank. It's like, he's like, where is it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a monster. He's a freaking monster. And like yeah. all of it speaks to that this guy is just scary. Yeah, and, uh, he's, he's like we, a machine. He's basically a machine. He's like this like it, unnatural kind of mutant freak. Um, but yeah, sorry, go on. And no, I just think like Wilmer also gives across that total scrappy, that actually the most scary guy in the room is the little scrapper in, mm. in the gang. Cause he's like, I don't answer to nobody, but Eddie Valentine, can you imagine saying that to a seven foot Goliath scary man while all body casted up? That speaks to Wilmer being a, like a take no shit little scrapper. Wilmer really is built different, man. He's he's like, yeah, he, he's a real dove one. out of a car. He dove out of his car for his boys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, he's built for this pain. He baby. told, he, told the, he told the feds to blow me. And he's basically saying the same thing to Lothar right here. Yeah, he's like, you do he's it. Like, Torture me. Uh, yeah. It's like, it reminds me of Drip like, some wax on my <laughs> chest. Good, yeah, man. it's like Bill Murray's character Thank in, you, sir. Uh, in, yeah. uh, Little shop of horrors at the dentist. Just candy bar. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I've been saving all month for this. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. Let's go. Higher history of dental problems. Shut up! Yes, doctor. I went to a terrible dentist on Wednesday who was recommended me by somebody that I saw on Monday, who's the brother of a man that I usually see on Sundays. And their mother actually taught them everything that they know. She's incredibly gifted and quite elderly, and a lot of people think she shouldn't be working, but I go to her because I'm just incredibly devoted to her strength. She can't really see who you are, but she knows she knows the sound of your voice, and if you tell her where it is, the problem, she eventually works her way back, and she finds the trouble, and she does it. I wish I had that family, because I can only go so long. That's how I want to be. I don't ever want to have to be just... Comfy? Yes, doctor. I remember the first time I went to the dentist, I thought, gosh, what a neat job. If only I were a dentist. The dentist I went to had the greatest car. He had a Corvette. And I thought, my gosh, everybody calls him doctor, and he's not really a doctor. Oh, my God. Only I got out of here okay, and then, but then you know, after it was all finished... They gave me a candy bar, and I thought to myself, this is what I get, a candy bar? This is what you do. You go through a little thing, and you get chocolate out of it. We're getting to work with incredible professionals. He has incredibly, incredibly wonderful equipment. Well, Let's where- take a look at that mouth. Say ah. Uh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just reminds me. He loves it. He's into it. Yeah. So eventually, you know, he buckles because <laughs> Wilmer starts to readjust Wilmer's body like a chiropractor just completely start to yeah yeah, Lothar Lothar starts to completely crush Wilmer and Wilmer's like all right ease off ease off I pulled the switch see I got the package stashed real good all of that amazing like old-timey vernacular (laughs) okay 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 ease off ease off I pulled the switch see I got the package stashed real good it's at the airfield hangar three it's in some old plane it's at the airfield. Hang a three. It's in some old plane. Uh, so we, Wilmer has spilled the goods and uh, Lothar now knows where that rocket is. Yeah. And then outside the hospital bedroom, the nurse and the cop happily enjoying their radio play. Oh, they're having a great There's, old time. They're just yucking it up, making yep. eyes at each other. 
Cop still has his mouth mm-hmm. open, drool trickling down onto the <laughs> fucking desk underneath him. Yeah, but suddenly we we the audience nothing. are hearing undeniable screaming, like uh-huh. torture. Well, it's great because screaming. the screams from the room mix with the laughter from the radio for a few seconds. Yeah. So it like it takes him a minute to realize like, oh, oh, wait, that that horrible sound is not, in fact, coming from yeah. this little glowing box in front of us. It's at the airfield. Hangar three. It's in some old plane. Also, I think it speaks to like a lot of this 30s era comedy. Like when you go back to the honeymooners, like half the comedy is like, Alice, I ought to smack you right to the moon. There's like so much like abuse in it that they're just like, (laughs) yeah, it's just another episode of that. Mm -hmm. And then when the radio ends the the radio hour program and it goes into a commercial break, the screams are still going in the cop and the nurse are like, oh, good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so they run over to the door and of course it's jammed yeah. and we cut into the bedroom and we see again in, in a shadowy Just silhouette Just the shadows here. on the wall, which is like so truly ominous. like horror movie stuff. Like this is, for my money, this isn't actually like the scariest scene in the entire movie. Like it's it's pretty like grim stuff. Yeah. Yep. Um, he is strung yes. up like a pinata, folks. He is. Yeah. yeah. Wilmer is up in the air. He Lothar, just again, like Lothar is just all, he's the muscle. He's the heavy of this mm-hmm. thing. He's the enforcer for the mob. Like he's just the guy you don't yeah. want to run into and you know he's coming for Cliff. And that is and why sound- this is so important. The sound design here is doing a lot of work too. Firstly, so that James Horner has these horns blaring and sort of like ratcheting up the suspense and the excitement. We know something, oh my God, oh my God, something's happening. And he has these horns going. But then we are hearing the crunching of Wilmer's yeah. bones. Yeah, there's like a, 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 a cr- is, crunching or stretching sound. I wasn't sure it how much it was like. It sounds like a the, bag of Doritos. Maybe it's like cast, I just imagine like, like the plaster cast breaking, or maybe it's Wilmer's bones rebreaking for a second. Yeah, whatever it is, it's like in the Foley, you know, the Foley artist is, just has a bag of Doritos that he's just like yeah. crunching yeah. into a microphone. <laughs> a big old bag like, of celery oh. that he's just twisting. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It, he is being crunched. Yeah, it's not, it's not a nice sound. And Wilmer's screams are really convincing i gotta say like yeah yeah. and it being a kids movie you know like this could be just a traumatizing event for kids to see yeah and i like that they kind of undercut it mere seconds later because when lothar escapes like the people uh you know the cop and the nurse break down the door they enter in and oh it's just wilmer strung up and no one's to be found but the window is open so the cop goes to the window very much looks out to see like who came in who came out and he doesn't see anything. And then the camera pans back a little bit to a little ledge. And we see Lothar's shoes on this ledge. And his escape is so delightfully PG Disney in which he just does a little shimmy. Yeah, <laughs> little, it's like, a little, little, little shimmy tap, on the windowsill. Tippy toes. Little, little tippy toe. Yeah, shuffle step back. And you realize, again, for a seven-foot mutant behemoth, this man is incredibly light on his feet. He's agile. And he I mean, agile. he got out of that room real quick. And this ledge yep. that he's now, that we just see his tiptoes, this ledge couldn't be more than five inches wide. It's not, his his toes are basically uh, hanging oh. off um, the, the, the edge of the ledge. Um, and the ledge is not, uh, you know, even uh, in height with the, with the balcony. 
uh, or the you know, kind of bottom of the of these uh, uh, wind- French door windows, like it's a few feet above. So presumably he had to run out and then turn, you know, at a you know ninety degree sharp angle and then leap onto this extremely narrow ledge. Um, and then we just see him, you know, still like shuffling backward with his tip tiptoes as the cop incredibly haplessly just looks, you know, takes one glance down at the street below. And then it's just like, oh, no one here. I guess I got to we'll go back and uh, maybe we'll dust for some fingerprints or something. You no, know, just yeah. like the bare minimum punch in, punch out kind of cop. This guy. Yeah. Question, is, um, question for you guys. Yes. So when the nurse and the cop burst into the room, there's a one quick frame before the cop makes his way to the windowsill. Mm-hmm. But there's one, there's one brief frame where we see uh, Wilmer strung up yeah, with the bandages dangling. and he's hanging. Yeah. So without tipping our hand or anything about like what we know happens throughout the rest of the film, are we to assume here that Wilmer is dead? Yes. I yeah. I think at this point you're like because I, I I ask because the frame that I'm frozen on his eyelids are closed. Yeah. Yeah. I he's dead. I mean I feel. He's already. If he's not shape. dead, he's he's basic. He's like on the verge of death. Right? Yes, I mean, I, this guy had internal bleeding from diving out of the car, so he was like on life support, basically already bandaged up. And Lothar just whatever work this hospital did to keep Wilmer barely alive, completely undone, folks. Yeah, it's one of he those. He was already hanging on by a thread. Yeah, um, yeah. and we know that like it's right. His eyes are closed. He's not moving other than the you know gentle swaying back and forth in the in the you know sort of straps that he's dangling from and so we know that he's not just like comatose because he was awake you know seconds earlier when he was speaking with Lothar so now it, that we see him in this state it's i think it's pretty pretty conclusively we that, can say that nurse also is giving the gone. classic i just found a dead body yeah. that's yep. my yeah. will scream which She's is not good, like, oh my gosh, let me get to work and try to repair this man. No, She's, this is a dead body. Yeah. <laughs> a I guess also, like, if we go back to uh, his instructions from Neville Sinclair, this is his job was to give a condolence call. That's wow. a good point. Condolence call. Yes. I never actually put that together, like, because I think in my head I was like, cur- courtesy call, condo- what is a condolence call? Right. You don't, a condolence call is for when someone dies. You don't dies. make a yep. condolence call to, like, visit someone in the hospital. That's not a condolence call. That's a And that's the exact type of code you say on a phone wow. without saying, go kill him. You say, just give mm-hmm. him a condolence call. Condolence. Uh, wow. Great, great pickup. Uh, yeah. Chris. Chris. With Chris. the pickup of the episode. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. <laughs> All right, so we we uh, we see uh, Lothar's uh, standing on this windowsill. We see his toes are just peeking over the ledge. I mean, his Ben, what size shoe is this here? We think this is a size. What did Shaq wear? Shaq was what, like a like a nineteen <laughs> or a twenty men's? Yeah. So I think. let's say his, his his size his size eighteen, nineteen. You know, uh, dress shoe. Yeah, wearing his toes are peeking out over the ledge wing, of wing the windowsill. Here, though, you know, he's, and he's going yeah. diagonal. He's going like you know, it's like when they say like a TV screen is forty two yep. inches, but it's like the diagonal. He just along. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's we're talking a diagonal on that ledge. He's not just twenty two inches off straight off the edge. He's He's making it work as best he can with that them huge feet. Yeah, yeah. My old boy.
you have, have to be willing, willing to rewatch a movie. Slow wave in.